in North Carolina. So we're going to be, uh, we're returning to John. So we'll be in John chapter 6, page 891 in the Red Pew Bible, if, uh, if you need to use that. John chapter 6. Uh, and since it's been uh, about a month and a half or so since we've looked at John, I just want to remind you that the reason, the reason that we're studying John is so that we really can study Jesus, right? Because at the center of Christianity is not Christians, it's not the church. The center of Christianity is Christ. And so if we don't know Him, if we don't know who He is and what He's done... Uh, then we really don't know much about uh, the Christianity that springs, uh, the people who spring from him. And so that's, that's been my goal uh, in, in studying the Gospel of John. And the last time we saw Jesus uh, was in John chapter 5. He was in Jerusalem, and he healed a man who had been paralyzed or disabled for about uh, for 38 years. And so Jesus, with a word, is able to make him stand up. And he walks and he carries his mat. But it's kind of a no-no. It's a man-made religious no-no to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. And so the powers that be, uh, they have a problem with that. They have a problem with this man all of a sudden. Uh, they, they ignore the fact that he's been healed, and they, they want to come after Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. And so Jesus defends uh, his, his miracle by declaring who he is. He says that he is the Son of God sent from heaven who has come to bring life to those who believe, and they reject him. And so that brings us to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick, on the sick. Uh, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. 
It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Father, would you pour out your blessing on the reading and on the hearing and now the preaching of your holy and infallible and inerrant word, that we would be a people who know that you speak, that you speak to us, and you do so to change us. Would you help us to believe? Help our unbelief, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I think it's pretty common, especially, uh, especially if you're a parent, but really if you're a human being, you understand this notion that there is a difference between what you need, or there's often a difference, not always, there's often a difference between what you need and what you want, right? If you've been, al- if you've been alive for longer than 11 years, you know, because you feel it really acutely at the, age of, at the ages of 12 to you know, 18 or 19, that there's this big gulf between what you want and what you need. And if you're in that gulf, it's your parents that stand between what you want and what you need, right? But really, that struggle is, uh, that struggle belongs to every single one of us, right? I want the chocolate cake. I need to take a walk. Now, sometimes our wants match our needs, And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're divided. And that's what we see here. That Jesus is the rescuer, the deliverer, the king we need. But he's not always the rescuer that we want. And we see that primarily in the reaction of the crowd to Jesus' miracle. Okay? So there's two miracles here. There's, uh, There's first, there's the feeding miracle. A miracle that this is the only miracle that happens in all four Gospels. And so clearly it was something very important, something very memorable that Jesus did, that all four Gospel writers record it. It's the only thing that they all four record together. So there's that miracle. There's the feeding of the 5,000, commonly called, and then there's Jesus walking on the water. And we're going to look at both of those uh, and see how Jesus often is the rescuer we need, but sometimes he's not the rescuer we want. Uh, and the first way we're going to see this, the place we're really going to see this, is where Jesus feeds the crowd. So let's, um, let's look at chapter at the beginning there of chapter 6. After this, so this is just an indefinite time, it seems, because there's a Passover at hand. This is about a year after the events of chapter 5. Jesus has done a lot of ministry in that time. Uh, the other gospel writers record it. Mark's version of this account tells us that the disciples have just gotten back from a mission trip. Right? Jesus sends them out, and they do miracles, and they proclaim the gospel, and they come back, and they tell Jesus all that they've seen and all that they've done, and they hear about the fact that John the Baptist has been beheaded. And so what they do then is they retreat. Right? They, go, um, they go take some time to rest. In fact, there are so many people coming to them. They're, they're doing so much ministry that they can't even stop to eat. And so Jesus takes his disciples, and they go across the, the Sea of Galilee, this big lake, 
to the other side, to kind of a desolate place where there's not anybody to get some rest. But the people in Capernaum, the people where they were, see them going, and so they hike all the way around the lake to find Jesus. And what we see is that uh, even though they're, they're, they're trying to get away, but they're still popular. Um, now, here, here's, here's what's interesting. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing. So why do these people want to find Jesus? Because they see that he's healing the sick. They see that he's doing signs. And that echoes John chapter 2, verse 23. This has happened before. When he was in Jerusalem... At the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So Jesus, back then in Jerusalem, was able to see, hey, these people are crazy about me, but they don't really, they don't really believe me. Their faith is faulty. And the same is true of this crowd. This is the first indication that something is not quite right. You have this huge crowd of people coming around the lake, but the reason they're coming around the lake is not so much for Jesus, but what Jesus can do for them. That's what they're coming for. So they see his power, but they don't understand his mission. And so Jesus gives this test of faith. He looks at Philip and he says, Philip, how are we going to feed all of these people? Now, Philip and the other disciples have been with Jesus now for probably about two years. They've seen water turned into wine. At least just in this gospel alone, they've seen water turned into wine. They've seen a man healed uh, of paralysis uh, who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And they've seen lots of other signs. We know from the other gospels that they've done miracles in Jesus' name. And so Jesus, in a sense, is testing. He's testing them to see... Are you going to view the situation my way? Are you going to view it in a materialistic, worldly way? You've seen some amazing things. You've done some amazing things. Let's see how you respond to this need. Here we have five, well, let's see, 5,000 men plus women and children. There's about 20,000 people wait, hungry and waiting to be fed. That's about half the, uh, that's half the size of Chilton County. That's half the population of Chilton County. Um, coming to see Jesus, needing bread. Jesus says, Philip, how are we going to feed him? And Philip says, I don't know. Right? 200 denarii. A a denarius was a a day's wage. And so what Philip says is, "Even even if I worked for eight months, that wouldn't be enough to feed all of these people just a little bit. And so you can see that Philip is still thinking in worldly terms. And so Andrew comes forward. Here we have Andrew. He comes forward and he says, well, we've got a boy here. Uh, he's got a, the, the lunch. His mama packed him. It's, uh, it's five loaves of bread, five pieces of bread, and two dried fish. But what are they for so many, right? There's this great need, but the resources are inadequate. There's a huge incomparable need but the resources on hand are inadequate. They don't have enough. Does that sound familiar? The need is always great, and the resources are always few. And so where do we go when we have that problem? That's a test of faith. It's a test of faith for the disciples 
What are we going to do in face of this need with so little? We are pathetically inadequate. And so Jesus says, have everyone sit down. Verse 11. Have everyone sit down. And then he takes the loaves, takes the food, and he gives thanks. He prays over it. And then he starts passing it out. And he keeps passing it out. And they keep passing it around. And it keeps going and going and going. Till all 20,000 people have just a little bit. They have all that they want. Do you notice that? That that not only does Jesus meet the need, but in his generosity he exceeds the need. Right? This isn't... Uh, communism or socialism where everybody gets just what we determine you should get and no more, people just keep eating. They, they eat their fill as much as they want. And after they eat as much as they want, there's leftovers. There's more. So that each disciple can grab, each one of the 12 disciples can grab a basket and go around and pick up all the leftovers so that nothing is wasted Jesus is both powerful and generous. He uses his power to graciously exceed the need of hungry people. But there's a problem. And we see it in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. All right, so what they're, they're talking about In Deuteronomy 18, the prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses, before he leaves, before he dies, tells the people, you need to be on the lookout for a prophet like me who will come after me. And so that was one of the first prophecies about a Messiah. And so the people have been waiting for the prophet. Now, why in the world do they see this and think Jesus is that guy? Well, first, let's think about what happened in chapter 5. In chapter 5, right, Jesus heals a man. And then he has to defend himself against the religious establishment for healing that man. And he, and he does that by identifying who he is. I am the Son of God. And they reject him. And what we're going to find in this chapter is the same. See, this is really, this whole chapter is of one big piece. But you can't really preach a, a whole sermon. I guess you could preach a whole sermon on chapter 6, but we all would have fallen asleep about verse 40 if I had to read all of that. So we're going to break it up in pieces. But what we're going to see is that Jesus does this miracle. He provides, he meets this incredible need, and the people don't get it. In fact, they want something else altogether completely different. And so they reject Jesus, just like the Jews did in chapter 5. And so... This is becoming a common theme. Miracle, revelation, rejection. Jesus does a miracle. It reveals who he is. He says who he is. He reveals his identity. And the response of the masses is, "Mm, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want you. But there's there's, there's another note here that tells us why they're looking for what they're looking for. John already told us in verse 4 that the Passover is at hand. And if you are familiar uh, a little bit with the Bible, you may remember that the Passover was this well, it was the most important religious feast in the Jewish calendar. It was the most important feast of the year because what it commemorated was when the Jews were set free from Egypt. 
when God used Moses to go in and get his people out of Egypt and bring them into the promised land. All right, so bring them into salvation. And so here's what you have. Let's just do the comparison. All right? You have a huge, back in the Passover, you have a huge group of people. There were 600,000 men then, so that's probably one and a half million people. You have this huge group of people crossing the wilderness, crossing a desolate place, and they're hungry, and they complain. And so God, through Moses, gives them bread. He actually rains bread from heaven down on them. And what do they do? They reject him, right? They still grumble. They still complain. And here we are again. We have a huge crowd in a desolate place. There's no food. And here we have a man providing food, providing bread. It's very similar. John is drawing a big parallel between this and what Moses did. And the people catch this. It's already on their minds because it's Passover time. So they're thinking about Moses and the Exodus. And as soon as they see Jesus do this, they say, this is the guy. This is the prophet. This is the one to come. And they're right to an extent. Where they're wrong is what happens next in verse 15. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. All right, let's stop. So what they want, what they want Jesus to be, right? Just like Moses rescued them from Pharaoh in Egypt, they want Jesus to take over and rescue them from Caesar. They want a political hero. I mean, he provides bread like Moses. Surely he can deliver us. He can rescue us like Moses. But that's not what Jesus wants. They want to make him their king, but that's not what Jesus has really come to do. Now, Jesus is the true king, but he's not the kind of king they're looking for. Jesus is the rescuer. He's the rescuer to end all rescuers. He is the savior. But, but from the Romans, that's too small. A political hero, that's too small. What Jesus has come to save us from is sin and shame and guilt. Not oppressive governments. And so what, what you have here is that the people, the people want a king for their own benefit. The people want Jesus so they can use him. Jesus is a king, but he will not be used by anyone and I can't help but read in the story uh, and, and think of our present condition. Uh, here we are at campaign time, right? And, and we hear promises and we hear things said and we so desperately want them to be true. And we so desperately will, will give our souls, will, will, will give ourselves over to whoever makes the best promises. Whether you're a, a liberal or a conservative. You just want somebody who sounds good because they're promising to give you what you want. You really want to use them for what they can do for you, which is not all that different. Uh, we actually talked about this in Sunday school because what do you think the person who's running for office wants to do? He wants to use you for his own benefit. And so 
Imagine, imagine our fervor and imagine the, the feelings we get when we get whipped up over rhetoric. And this is where the people are. They so desperately want out to be out from Roman control that they're willing to take Jesus by force and make him king so that we can lead a rebellion. Hey, we got 20,000. We can certainly lead a rebellion and take back our country. And Jesus withdraws. He says, I'm not, I'm not here for that. I'm not here to overthrow the Romans. I'm here to overthrow your sin. And so we see that they want a different Jesus. They want a Jesus of their own making, and Jesus withdraws. He leaves. As we'll learn as we go through chapter 6, Jesus does not exist to satisfy your belly. He exists to satisfy your soul. And so Jesus withdraws to the mountain. Uh, and the disciples get in a boat and they head across the water. So there's, there's one response to Jesus. They receive a miracle, but they want, to make, they want to take Jesus and make him fit their mold. And so Jesus leaves. What about the other miracle? What about the other people in the story when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. It was common on the Sea of Galilee. You had a huge distortion between elevation. And so it was very easy, right, when, when cold air meets warm air, now, the cold air coming from up here meets the warm air from down here, and they meet right on top of the lake. Bad things happen, right? And so the disciples find themselves in rough seas, in the dark, struggling. Now, what do these two miracles have to do with each other? It's interesting. Jesus, Jesus could have. He knew, right? He knew where they were. He knew what was going on. He'd... Let them leave. He knew where he was going with this. He could have easily, from the top of the hill where he was perched, have just stopped the storm, right? Stopped the wind from a distance. He could. He could have just disapparated, right? He could have just uh, teleported himself from the top of the hill into the boat, right? But he does neither of those things. What he does instead... See, if he, had, if he had just quieted the storm from the top of the hill, that would have displayed his power, right? That would have displayed that he is Lord over creation. He has the ability to do it. And if he had just transported himself, transported himself into the boat, well, that would have displayed his mercy, his generosity, because he's, he's with them. But what Jesus does is he does both. They're three to four miles out in the middle of the lake and they look up as they're struggling in the dark, fighting the wind, fighting the waves, and here comes Jesus walking through the waves, walking right on, walking right on top of them, which is also reminiscent of Moses and the Exodus when God parted the sea so that his people could go through. Here we have the Lord of creation, not phased at all, not phased at all by the science of cold air and warm air coming together to make rough, choppy seas. He designed the system. So he just walks right through it. 
walks toward the boat, and it scares him to death. Wouldn't you be frightened of that? Right? As you're, as you're trying to keep the sail from ripping apart, as you're trying to keep the boat from swamping, and you just kind of happen to look over, and here's a guy walking on the water, they're terrified, and rightly so, because the Lord of creation is terrifying. That is scary. Somebody who can control the wind and the waves, well, that's more power than any of us have. And so Jesus shows his power, but he also shows, again, his generosity. Because he doesn't just, he doesn't still the storm, he gets in the boat with us. Right? They, they're terrified, and what does Jesus say? It's me. Don't be afraid. And he steps into the boat, and they get to where they're going without incident. They gladly take him in, and they safely arrive at shore. This is never mentioned again. For the rest, the rest of the chapter is all about the bread. It's all about the feeding and what Jesus means by that. And that's what we're going to see. This incident is never mentioned again. So why in the world is it here? And what do these two miracles have to do with each other? And it's the, and it, and it's the same, right? That Jesus' miraculous power is on display for the benefit of needy people. Uh, John Piper says um, in, his, in his sermon on this passage, he says, both hunger and wind can kill you. Right? If, you don't have, if you're hungry and don't have food, you will eventually die. If you're on the water, rain is not a problem. Right? If you've been maybe deep sea fishing and a rainstorm comes up, that's not a big deal. A rainstorm is not a big deal. kind of scary because you can't really see the shore as well, but it's, it's not a big deal. The big deal is the wind. And yet Jesus' power is over both. He's able to provide bread, and he's able to still the wind. He is the Lord of creation, and he is the Lord of mercy. He crosses the waves, he gets in the boat, and he says, I'm here, don't be scared. So are you in the dark, fighting the wind? Hear the comforting words of Jesus. You don't have to do it alone. Jesus says, it's me. Don't be afraid. So that's where the two are similar. Jesus' power and Jesus' generosity are both displayed in the miracle. But where they're different and where we find the meaning for this sermon is in the responses. The people want their own personal Jesus. And Jesus will have nothing to do with that. The disciples gladly take Jesus into the boat. They're terrified until they hear his voice and they say, oh yeah, get in the boat. We need you in here. And so the question for us, right? one, one group is glad to have him, the disciples. The other group is only happy if they can use him, the masses. They want him for their own ends. And so the question for us is, what is your response? What is your... Do, do you want the real Jesus? Do you want the Jesus as the Word reveals Him, who will not fit into your category, who doesn't exist simply to make you happy? Right? That's the lie of the prosperity gospel, that, that Jesus aims to make me happy, to give me everything that I could possibly want. Jesus doesn't do that. But he does make you happy. 
He does provide everything that you need and more to the everlasting satisfaction of your soul. That's who Jesus is. He doesn't fit our political agenda. He doesn't fit, he doesn't provide all the material goods we could ever want. But no, he confronts our sin and brokenness and he meets our real need with real generosity, with abundant generosity. So if you want a full belly, go somewhere else. If you want a satisfied soul, Come to Jesus. Take him into the boat. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would confront us with who you really are. That we would not fall prey to our age, to our culture. That we would not try to make you, Jesus, into something that you have no desire to be. that we would want the real Jesus, the Jesus who saves from sin and shame and guilt. Help us to be like the disciples, terrified but trusting, and not like the crowds, full but unbelieving. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.